This morning we're going to consider Mary receives a visit from an angel. Mary receives a visit from an angel. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1 verse 26 through to 38. Last Sunday in our introductory visit to Luke's Gospel we saw that the angel Gabriel visited a priest by the name of Zacharias and informed him that his wife Elizabeth would bear him a son and that the name of the son would be called John, as in John the Baptist. Zacharias was told that John would be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb and in time to come his ministry would be to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Today we shall consider another visit from Gabriel, six months after his visit to Zacharias. On this occasion he came to a virgin called Mary with the news that she too would bring forth a son. Let's turn to Luke's Gospel chapter 1 and I will read verse 26 through to 38. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favoured. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she have also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Amen.
In verse 28, we read three things about Mary. Look at verse 28, rather. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favoured. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Three things there in that verse. First of all, Mary was highly favoured. In other words, she received much grace from God. That's what it is to be favoured, to receive grace from God. And she was highly favoured in as much she received grace from God. Uh, he chose her from among all women to be the mother of Jesus. As such, we see that God is the fountain who freely dispenses his grace and Mary received that grace in abundance. Secondly, the Lord was with Mary. The fact of the matter is that the Lord is with all his people, not just Mary, but with all his people. He will never leave them. He will never forsake them. The promise of the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples at the very end of Matthew's Gospel is, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Clearly Jesus wasn't just speaking to the disciples who were with him at the time. He was talking to all. That promise is to all who would trust in him. Hence the words, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And that promise extends to all who know Jesus as their saviour from sin. Coming back to Mary, in view of the fact that she was chosen by God to carry the Lord Jesus Christ in her womb and to be his mother, God would most certainly be with her. In fact, it's reasonable to say that God would be her fortress. The third thing we see in verse 28 is that Mary was blessed among women. Note that she was not blessed above all women. She was blessed among women. Therefore, we must not venerate Mary or worship her as the Roman Catholics do. More broadly, every Christian has been blessed. Mary was blessed among women, but if you're a Christian, you too are blessed. And I can't imagine that any of us Christians even begin to appreciate just how much we are blessed by God. The verse that I keep coming back to time and again is from Ephesians chapter 1, I think it's verse 3 or verse 4, I can't remember now. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? Not just a few blessings, not even quite a lot of blessings, but every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, if you're trusting in him as your saviour from sin. And those blessings, they include pardon for sin, that's the first blessing, and all other blessings flow from that forgiveness for sins. Without forgiveness, you're not blessed by God. So there's pardon for sin, no condemnation, everlasting life, and if you are a child of God, you are an heir of God. As one of his children, you're an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. 
Can anyone even begin to imagine what Mary's reaction might have been when she received that visit from the angel Gabriel? Perhaps someone would like to, um, who's had a visit from Gabriel or some other angel, would like to tell me about it afterwards. And, and I'll be very keen to hear. But can we even begin to imagine, seriously, what it would have been like to receive a visit from Gabriel, the angel? Back in the Old Testament, when Gabriel visited Daniel, Daniel was afraid and he fell upon his face. As for Zacharias the priest, when Gabriel visited him to tell him that his wife Elizabeth would bear a son and his name would be called John, we're told that he was troubled and fear fear fell upon him. Here in Luke chapter 1 verse 30, what do we read there? And the angel said unto her, Fear not Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. He said, Fear not. So clearly she too was struck with fear, or at least initially she was. And at the same time, she would have had to get her head around the news that the angel Gabriel was about was about to announce to her. Receiving a visit from the angel Gabriel, which um, causes fear, and also we're going to consider the, the news that he had for her and what she must have been thinking in her head. Can anyone even begin to imagine what must have been going through her mind as the angel told her that she shall conceive in her womb and bring forth a son. She shall call his name Jesus and he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. Remember the the, the, the angel was speaking to a virgin. And of his kingdom, that is her son's kingdom, there shall be no end. I would not be surprised to learn that Mary was not even be, not even able to think beyond the very first part of that announcement that she was going to conceive and give birth. How could she even think beyond that? After all, how could she bring forth a son when she was still a virgin? Never mind anything else there. Not surprisingly, In verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? But then, as the angel said in verse 37, With God, nothing shall be impossible. It's worth remembering that, isn't there? How often do we put limits on what God can do? We do tend to do that. I'm talking about us Christians. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was manifest in the flesh. We believe that the Son of God was lifted up to die on the cross, having been manifest in the flesh, and he poured out his blood, and he atoned for our sins. We believe these things, and yet we still limit what God can do. And there are even professing Christians, more than a few of them, who 
who have embraced evolution realise what's all that about? I once spoke to a Christian many years ago who scoffed when I when I spoke about Jonah being swallowed by the whale and being spewed out on dry land after three days. He simply didn't believe it because it defies nature. We shouldn't limit what God can do. And if you're a Christian, you, you, have, you are a daily reminder that for God all things are possible. He has made you a new creature in Christ. Now that is miraculous, isn't it? You who come from Adam, Adam was um, formed from the dust of the earth and you are in a sense not just dust of the earth but sinful dust of the earth made a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Why would you even begin to doubt what God is able to do? And when you pray for friends and family and and enemies, pray for anyone, that God would be gracious unto them and save them from their sins. Do you really believe that God is able to do that? You should do. You should pray full of expectation. Uh, And if, of course, it is God's will that he is able to save people, to save them to the uttermost the most wretched of people, people like us here today, to save us and to make us his children and to make us a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. In verse 35, Gabriel told Mary that the conception of baby Jesus would result from a miraculous intervention of God, the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you think she would have understood much of that? Let's have a look at verse 35. Maybe I'm underestimating Mary here. Let's look at verse 35 again. Again, the angel speaking to a virgin by the name of Mary, and he says to her, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Do you think at that point she said, oh, okay, now that all makes sense now, thank you very much. I don't, under, I don't imagine that she understood much other than it would be a miracle of God. It's not for nothing that in in 1 Timothy 3 verse 16 the Apostle Paul said great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. There are people who reject the virgin birth on the grounds that it defies all natural laws. This is the problem. It's just not natural. It can't be so. They forget that God is the God of nature. He's the God of everything. And there was a time when I was in the home of an elderly lady some years ago now. She's now died. 
I got round to speaking to her about the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the conversation did not progress beyond her outrightly dismissing the virgin birth as a ridiculous fairy tale. It really hurt to hear that old lady refer to the virgin birth as a ridiculous fairy tale because I wanted her to, to, to be receptive to the gospel and to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from her sins to enjoy the blessings that all Christians enjoy to rejoice in Christ but she dismissed it as a ridiculous fairy tale and with that she dismissed everything else that I said about Jesus she simply was not listening all I'll say is that the Bible not only makes it very clear that the Lord Jesus Christ was conceived and brought forth of a virgin we see that in our text but that he is coming again and when he comes again he will judge everyone who has ever lived when that day comes no one will be dismissing the virgin birth as a ridiculous fairy tale instead every knee shall bow every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father earlier on in chapter 1 when the angel Gabriel visited Zacharias the priest and told him that his wife would bear a son his response was one of unbelief because Elizabeth had not been able to conceive and they were now both old therefore Zacharias did not believe the message of the angel Gabriel. Consequently, Zacharias was struck dumb until such time the baby was born. That was because of his unbelief. He was struck dumb. However, when it comes to the Virgin Mary, although she did not understand, unlike Zacharias, she did believe. She didn't question the angel Gabriel. There was no unbelief. As she said to Gabriel in verse 38, Be it unto me according to thy word. Mary was told by the angel that she she shall call her son Jesus, the son of the highest. And you can be sure that that was not the result of God looking in a book of baby names and being drawn to the name Jesus even though it is a beautiful name and even though it is the name that is above every name. Jesus is a transliteration of the Hebrew Joshua and it means Jehovah is salvation. As is so often the case, names in the Bible really do have meaning and we can learn a lot from names, people's names in the Bible. Jesus means Jehovah is salvation. And that becomes much clearer in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, where the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said to him, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, for 
he shall save his people from their sins. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You'd have to ask, who are his people? Who are the people of Jesus? Jesus, that means Jehovah is salvation. Whom did Jesus come into the world to save from their sins? Clearly not everyone. He shall save his people from their sins. The angel of the Lord didn't say, he shall save everyone from their sins. That's not what he said. So, whom did Jesus come into the world to save? His people are all who believe that in the fullness of time, Jesus was conceived and brought forth of a virgin. It's a good start, isn't it? Believing what our text tells us, that Jesus was conceived and brought forth miraculously of a virgin. Also, it happened in fulfilment of a prophecy that was given about 700 years later. I'm telling you this because it's not just something that comes up as soon as we open the pages of the Gospels. What we're reading and considering is the fulfilment of prophecy. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 where it is written, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. So you see, it's a fulfilment of prophecy. Prophecy that came, uh, that was spoken over 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was conceived and born of a virgin. Furthermore, the people who belong to Jesus are all who believe that he carried their sins in his own body at the cross, having lived a sinlessly perfect life on their behalf. Even after many years of being a Christian, I still do not understand the details of how all the fullness of God was manifested in that tiny baby who was miraculously conceived and brought forth of a virgin. And I always think of, uh, I referred to him earlier, um, Simeon. Simeon in the temple when Jesus was presented, baby Jesus was presented in the temple. Simeon held baby Jesus in his hands. And what was Simeon holding in his hands? God manifest in the flesh. All the fullness of the Godhead in that little baby. Again, that reminds me of someone years ago. The irony is he taught RE, isn't it? That's a worry, isn't it? He taught religious education, professing, practicing Christian, and he scoffed at me. People tend to scoff at me, and the the worrying thing is that Christians do this. He scoffed at me when I marvelled that in that little baby dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead. He scoffed and he he thought I was being ridiculous, as if it was some progressive thing that slowly but surely... I don't know, Godhead was being poured into the, the baby until finally, perhaps when Jesus was a man, hey presto, he's fully God and fully man. But no. 
all the fullness dwelt in that baby born of a virgin. Something to think about, isn't it? And to believe. And then in the fullness of time, Jesus, Jehovah's salvation, laid down his life on a cross. And the important thing for you is to believe that this happened for you. Jesus coming into the world, Jesus laying down his life at the cross, having having obeyed God's law, as we're told in the scriptures, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, obedience throughout his life and in death. He didn't need to for himself, no need whatsoever. He did that for all who would trust in him, his people. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and as the angel of the Lord said to Joseph, he shall save his people from their sins. Are you one of his people? Do you believe? As for the Lord Jesus Christ being the son of the highest, the son of the highest, how would Mary have got her head round that one? The son of the highest, her baby. That really would have been something for Mary to deeply ponder that the child that she, a virgin, would conceive and bring forth would be the son of God or is the son of God. It speaks volumes of the love of God that the child who was miraculously conceived and born into the world to make atonement for sin was and is the eternal Son of God. He didn't just start being the Son of God upon, what, his birth? No. Perhaps his conception? No. He is the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. In the first reading from um, from Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 For unto you a child is born unto you a son is given God gave his son when he sent him into the world He gave his son to what? to lay down his life as an atonement for sin. <clears throat> as it's written in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The incarnate Son of God being lifted up to die for sinners must surely be the ultimate expression of love. I can't think of any other expression of love that even begins to compare with what we see at the cross. Nothing. And the tragedy is that all who are not trusting in Christ as their saviour, they don't actually know love in its fullness You have to be someone who can relate to it in as much as 
you you have to be someone who who can think and know with certainty. Wow, the Son of the Highest, the Son of God, incarnate, laid down His life, bearing my sins at the cross. We see the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with the cross. We see love, if you're a Christian, in a way that no one else can see love. Would any of us know anything about the love of God if it were not for the miraculous conception of the Lord Jesus Christ and his birth, his life, and his sacrificial death at the cross? Would any of you know the love of God if it were not for the cross? I certainly wouldn't. What kind of love would we associate with God if it were not for the cross? Oh, God loved me because I got a nice pay rise. Or or God has blessed me with a a lovely family or, or whatever, yeah? Fair enough. None of it, none of it even begins to compare with the love that was manifest at the cross for hell-deserving sinners. I'm still trying to understand the great love of God, an everlasting love, no less, that resulted in God sending his only begotten son into the world to save me from my sins. And I'm not the only one. As the hymn writer said, Oh, make me understand it, Help me to take it in, what it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. Finally, verse 32 and 33 speak of a kingdom with no end. Let's have a look at those verses, 32 and 33. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob for ever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Forever there shall be no end. It's clear enough, isn't it? An everlasting kingdom. And even that is in fulfilment of Old Testament prophecies, such as Isaiah Chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Again, I read it to you earlier. In those verses, it is written, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Again, that prophecy over 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ even came into the world. It speaks very clearly of a kingdom that shall be forever, his kingdom. With respect to the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is a descendant of King David, of Israel. 
However, the kingdom of Jesus, which is forever, is to be understood as being a heavenly kingdom, a spiritual kingdom. When the Roman governor Pontius Pilate asked Jesus if he was a king, he replied, my kingdom is not of this world. This is quite an important thing to, to appreciate. I don't know how many people are waiting to God, for, for Jesus to establish his kingdom. Hang on a minute. I thought that as a Christian, I was a royal priest. Day by day, God is delivering people like you and like me, people who are held captive to sin, and he is transferring them out of the devil's dark domain into the everlasting kingdom of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is happening day by day. God transferring people out of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. Colossians chapter 1 possibly verse 13, if I remember right. Jesus, who came down from heaven, who was conceived and brought forth of a virgin, who became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and who is now highly exalted in heavenly glory, where he is seated at the right hand of his Father, King Jesus, the King of glory. Therefore, Repent, believe in King Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and know him as the God of your salvation. Amen.